No intruders, but listeners, I see. Greetings, patrons of delusion, and welcome to our podcast of confusion. By listeners' vote, Nightmare was chose, and Mike in hand to the challenge we rose. Ash versus by name and one of your hosts. But what of my company on this retrospective toast? Enter, stranger. I am Luke Owen. And I love you. Ah, Luke Owen. A warrior's name. <laughs> I don't know, you've got the air of a pickle to me. We, uh, when we, just before we came on mic, Ash turned to me and said, I'm not going to say that I had fun preparing for this episode, but I had a lot of fun preparing for this episode. You tell me one other episode where I've got the chance to write a poem. <laughs> Uh, yes, greetings and welcome to the pod rig. It's Under Consultation Extra, our patron exclusive podcast guide through the licorice all sorts of 90s TV. I'm excited to be here, man. This is our review of Nightmare, which won out the poll quite handedly so against Gladiators. Bloody hell, Gladiators, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. That got 15% of the vote, as did Bullseye. Finders Keepers, 11. It's 59% for Nightmare. An absolutely out and out winner for this one. Um, Misha Sumra, like his comments here, of just spell casting. W-I-N-N-E-R. But perhaps my absolute favorite is from Ashley Richardson. I felt for sure it would be gladiators this time. Then Nightmare arrived. This time it was Nightmare. Next time, I mean, next time it's going to be a Christmas special of some kind. And actually, you've sent me across a potential Christmas special that we could do. And I'm, I'm, I'm into it, man. I'm into it. It's a bit of a departure. It's a bit different. Oh, but yeah. also... It is a unique TV show, but mm-hmm. more of that later. Indeed, because for the first time, I say for the first time, it's only the third one that we've done, but certainly for the first time in our Patreon podcast history, we intro this show saying that this is the licorice all sorts of 90s TV, but we are stepping outside of those boundaries because this aired on the 26th of September, 1988, our number one film at the box office is Buster, and the Hollies are at the top of the charts with He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. My God, that is a tune. And even this was a re-entry into the charts. It was one of those songs that just came back. Meanwhile, in the film world, we have Buster. Phil Collins, in his motion picture debut as Buster. A small-time crook with big-time dreams. What is it? Elizabeth Taylor's jewelry. To roll my own train. One million quid. There's still a reward out for Buster Edwards. Ain't no one gonna touch us now, Mum. We got it made. Come out and give yourself up quietly. Now remember that whatever happens, I love you. Phil Collins. What I do borrow from banks. I mean, that is my job. Julie Walters. I mean, with their permission. 
Buster. He'll steal your heart. Yeah, speaking of music. Yeah, can you feel it in the air tonight? It's Phil Collins, <laughs> which, I'll be honest, when I was seven or eight or nine or whenever this was coming out, I was really confused between Phil Collins and Bob Hoskins because they were both kind of short and balding, essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's an easy mistake to make her. Although Phil Collins in Mario, that would have been a movie. Killer soundtrack. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And the, the film's already got a cracking soundtrack. It's got a soundtrack. Hey, now it's got a banging soundtrack as the Super Mario Brothers movie. We'll agree to differ. Maybe this is another one to discuss off mic, or indeed when we cover it on our next expansion podcast, which will require a few more patrons. Yes. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. More on that later. And if ever you needed true evidence of the lasting impact and legacy of Nightmare, it is that landslide victory. Because here we have a show that started before Games Master, way before Games Master, 7th of September 1987, and only ran until 1994. We are almost at the end of Nightmare in the regular timeline. But over eight seasons, countless children were killed quite (laughs) horrifically on this show it was the brainchild of tim childs who saw the rise of computers who saw the rise of adventure and thought there's got to be something there there's got to be something with that that we can do and he had a couple of unsuccessful pilots and then the third time lucky they were commissioned and they got it going and nightmare debuted and before it had even fully debuted mary whitehouse was pissed off Oh, yeah? Yeah, she was like, this is encouraging kids into into witchcraft and Satanism. Oh, for God's sake. But from what I understand, when she saw it, they kind of got an apology because she realised they weren't being encouraged into Satanism and witchcraft, but apparently had no issue with the fact that children were being threatened by giant spiders, knights, orcs, catacomites... That catacomite gives me the shitting fear. It was on the cover of the first book, and seeing it in this episode was a real <laughs> moment. But no, she was fine with it once she realised that it wasn't leading them away from a good Christian life. It was just potentially killing them. Because Nightmare was a team of four. I'm just doing this just in case there's someone that doesn't know. It was a team of four, one of whom donned the Helm of Justice, which meant that they couldn't see, or rather they could only see their feet. Um, Why is it called the Helm of Justice? I don't know. Maybe because Justice is blind. Who can say? Realistically, it was just so you could have the three people sat with Treyguard of Dunshelm, played by Hugo Myatt, who would direct the Dungeoneer by basically going forward, backward, sidestep left, sidestep right, turn around, and occasionally get things very wrong and steer them off a cliff. So in addition to this helmet that they basically can see their feet out of, Treyguard also gives each Dungeoneer that ventures forth blindfolded a knapsack or a satchel or some kind of bag. To me, it reminds me of the Milkman bags that Milkman used to have to keep the change in. Take this knapsack for food, but place only food in it. You'll need it to sustain your sprite of energy. This is its manifestation. It is your own life force. This is condition green. The next stage is amber. And on condition red, you are in grave peril. For this is no game of numerous lives. Here, 
You have only one. Beyond that, items have to be carried. Yeah. It is essentially there because they can't have kids actually eating. And also, it would be somewhat awkward to have a kid wandering around, like holding maybe a shield in one hand and a pie in the other. Yeah. And this is a proper satchel as well that has to put things in it. This isn't like Resident Evil uh, style things where you've just got an inventory that is massive. And you're like, where have you put all of this stuff that you're currently walking around in, jingle jangling around in your pockets? I love games where they do show all the inventory that you're carrying. The recent Tomb Raider reboots are good for that because as you gain more weapons, Lara Croft is just like strapping them to the body. (laughs) But it does ruin the suspension of disbelief more than the infinite depth pockets because at some point you have to look at the character and go, how are you still able to run or jump or like not just keel over backwards like a turtle what i found kind of most amazing uh while i was doing some research about this and i found some interviews with the people that made the show is that like it, it is you know it's a pretty seamless process when you're watching the show you exit one room get a little graphic you enter into another room but it is just it was a it was a guardian article that i found uh that called it um the dark souls of its day which i thought was a very nice way to, to describe it but it was actually finding out that the show took ages like you know basically the way that they would describe it is it would take days to film one team attempt to do this if a room lasted 90 seconds the kids would then have to wait around about two hours for the next room to be set up um jason curl who was a series two winner uh, there's an interview with him on the verge where he said you'd film a room that would last anywhere from 25 seconds to three minutes then you'd have hours of nothing to do except sit in a green room it was all very secretive and we were kept away from the studio to avoid any spoilers. When the screen comes on and the dungeoneer asks, where am I? We were genuinely seeing it for the first time. And this Verge article also interviews a, a Series 8 winner called Oliver, who going by like the way that Oliver talks about his time on there, um, he was less into the show than, than Jason was the Series 2 winner. Uh, but he says, you didn't get to see a lot. They like to keep things really secret. You'd film one area and it was back to the green room. If you wanted to go to the loo, they'd have to escort you. They didn't want you to see the actors in costume that might give you an idea of what was coming. They took it a lot more seriously than we did. We were dead impressed because the green room had an Amiga 600, and we spent most of the three days playing Elf Mania. I mean, whatever floats your boat, really. (laughs) They did take it very seriously from a production standpoint, and whilst, as we said, they seem to like the team that we're going to talk about, if they didn't like you or they thought you were being boring guess what the next room was probably going to be a bomb room with a very short fuse and if you didn't have freeze or a time spell or you didn't move quickly you were done for same with the life force the life force dissipated at a very uneven rate directly proportional to how boring you were yeah i think i I think that's that's quite true because one of the things when we get into the episodes that we're going to review the sort of the life force thing isn't a hundred percent clear on where sort of like your life force really is and it does feel like yeah you're right there's a a point where they could be like and your life force has run out well really sorry uh you just weren't quick enough or you just weren't good enough but tim child talked about the production of this and said from the beginning nightmare was in crisis because production was terribly slow uh this is from a guardian interview in 2013 The kids would be waiting for an hour to film a scene that lasted a minute and a half. Inevitably, they lost enthusiasm and did silly things. Some teams would walk their dungeoneer off the precipice for no reason. Others would put a useless clue in their knapsack and then later die in humiliating fashion because they did not have the right key to a particular door or the right spell to dismiss a monster. They were told at the start they weren't allowed to use weapons. 
yet would pick up a dagger instead of the magnifying glass they obviously needed. We had a dungeoneer who tried to make friends with a goblin. It didn't work out. The gameplay was really critical path analysis. If you did the right thing, you got the right result. And when they first started, they did spend a lot of time mapping out all the potential paths a team could take, like a massive flowchart. And after a while, they did realize hang on, they can just take the path that we want them to. We don't need to actually cover all eventualities because they don't know that both doors will lead to the same route. Yeah. Because you can't go back, you can only go forward. Use the logic and guile to find the right path. And remember, the only way is onward. There is no turning back because production. Yes, that's actually, yeah, that's a really key thing. It's the art of being a good dungeon master uh, if you're playing D&D, is you need to give your players the feeling that you're in this very open world, but making sure that they go down a specific route that you have written, as opposed to them just going off to somewhere else that you have not planned for yet. I, Treyguard, issue the challenge. Beyond that portal lies the Dungeon of Deceit which I alone have mastered. Hugo Might himself came to the role from a background in acting, but also a background in presenting kind of local news and local television. And I've met the dude a couple of times. He's really nice. He's very warm. He's very welcoming. He's slightly bemused by all of this, by mm. the fact that here we sit 30 years later and people still go batshit over Nightmare. But to seven and eight-year-old me, Treyguard was terrifying because particularly in the early seasons, like the one we're covering with these couple of episodes, there was no lasting antagonist. In later seasons, we got Lord Fear and we had a proper good versus evil with Treyguard being the forces of good and Lord Fear being the forces of evil. Well, from now on, I've decided to take the war against the powers that be right to their own threshold. No more. Let the little darlings have a nice time in level one and then stick it to them in level two. Oh no. No more, Mr. Nice Guy. I've declared open season on all adventurers and especially Dungeoneers. Whereas series one and two, Treyguard was kind of ambivalent. He might help out the team occasionally. He might steer them in the right direction. But he would also very happily allow them to be turned to stone by Medusa. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he certainly helps our team a couple of times in the episodes that we're going to get to. Very much the case of just like, look now, adventurers, what's that over there? Don't forget to take an item. You're running out of health. <laughs> yeah. And realistically, it wasn't that Hugo Meyer as Treyguard took a soft spot to this team because all the way through this recording, he had an earpiece in and he would be getting directions from the gallery. And if the team was sat there in silence, occasionally a voice would just squawk, probably from Tim Childs, going, say something, or yeah. do something. Tell them this. Honestly, telling them something was an easy direction. It was more the thing of do something. Now, when you're Richard O'Brien on the Crystal Maze, as we've already covered, you've got a variety performer, and they probably didn't have to tell him to do anything. He would just start vamping whenever there was a chance. But Hugo Meyer has said, that whenever you see Treyguard kind of looking off into the middle distance with a slightly glassy look in his eyes, that's him trying to think of something to do. <laughs> Before they gave him a proper Moriarty to go up against, they did start to give him help. He gained assistance, the first of which I called you earlier, Pickle. 
Mm. Away from the fire, Pickle. It's our dungeoneer who's trapped in Winteria, not you. Oh, sorry, Master, but just thinking about Isandra gives me the shivers. Well, shiver your way through the pages and tell everyone else what's going on. Pickle is an annoying little shit. <laughs> Why, thank you. He's walked straight out of Peter Pan. He looks like he's walked straight out of Peter Pan, but with eye makeup from a 70s glam band. Mm. Essentially, he was put there so Treyguard didn't have to stare off glassy-eyed because he now had someone to bounce off of. So rather than Treyguard having to go, caution team, cavern whites approaching, you could have Pickle going, Sire, this is the lair of the cavern whites. They must move with haste. And then Traeger will go, shut up, Pickle, because pretty much it gave him the opportunity to be a bit more grumpy and be slightly annoyed that this little elf was helping them. Other characters came and went. They did kind of have a repertoire of character actors that would either be a guard or a monk or numerous goblins or cavern whites or wizards. Merlin appears in the episodes we're going to talk about. The acting was pretty good, given that while they would have scripted lines, they had no real control over what the kids were going to say or do. And we get some real examples of that in these two episodes. <laughs> yeah, we do. It's worth saying, I'm not going to go fully into the making of Nightmare at this point, because this is one podcast and we are covering two episodes. But what I will say, for a more in-depth and chronological look at the Nightmare series, you should listen to Temporal Discussion, a podcast that launched not too long ago, so you've got time to catch up. And they're a lovely couple of guys, and I'm also especially saying that because not long before they started, they sent us a DM basically saying, can we steal your show format? <laughs> Which I, I'm pretty sure, that, uh, you know, the response when you told me this, I was just like, I'm not sure that we, it's certainly not our show format. I, we've essentially lifted this from Talking Simpsons, and I don't think it was their format either. I'll be honest, the thing I liked, if they just started, I wouldn't have been pissed off. I'd have been like, nope. cool. I, I, I'd have been like, sweet, a nightmare podcast. That's going in the subscription feed. Like, don't get me wrong. If I could do this full time, there'd be a Games Master podcast. There'd be a Nightmare podcast. There'd be an Art Attack podcast. <laughs> Actually, no, Art Attack would be a YouTube stream because what you do is you try and recreate the things that he was doing. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, file that one away. <laughs> but as I can't just drop everything and do this full time, the fact that other people are picking up the 80s and the 90s mantle is something I love. And so I wish them the best. Mm -hmm. They got a couple of episodes under their belt. They're getting some guests on. They have Friend of Under Consultation, Dave Bulmer, is going to be on there. He is indeed. Yeah, yeah. So go and check them out details will be in the show notes the thing i found most interesting because I, I was doing a bit of reading up on nightmare um obviously as, as we always do before we come in to record these sorts of podcasts and you know my my recollection of the show is that you know this is 1988 i'm you know i'm two years old when this episode actually aired so i saw nightmare you know much later on i saw the much later series of it but my memory, I, you know, I very much enjoyed the show. But really, what always jumps out to me is my brother, who absolutely loved the show, doing his own version of it in our house. One evening, he sort of knocked on my door at my room and just said, do you want to play Nightmare? And I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds great. And he had set up various different rooms in our upstairs, which, you know, it wasn't absolutely, it wasn't massive. We only lived in a, we lived in a, a you know, semi-detached. And he would that bounce in, he would be Trey Guard as well, but he would also be the characters that you interact with. The bit I really remember about this is that I went into a room and I had two choices of items to pick up. One was a weapon, 
and the other one was my brother's stuffed ET figure that he had. He had like this sort of like um, it was. I remember it being really frayed because it was like a vinyl coating to it. No, maybe not, maybe not vinyl, but it was really flaky. I remember that because I get traveling around a lot. Was it stuffed with something that felt like crushed yes. walnuts? I had yes. exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, fucking toy. Yeah, yeah, wow. that's the one. Am I your brother? <laughs> sometimes feels that way it does Um, a bit but (laughs) no sorry to distract but that toy is one that i got when i was very small and i had it for ages until it was in storage and mice got at it because it was filled with crushed walnuts is it really yeah it was filled with essentially crushed walnut shells oh i always thought it was like beads or something but I think I'm pretty sure my brother's still got his. I actually, I need to, I'm going to text him and ask him if he's still got it or where it is. I mean, maybe the real, maybe I had a bootleg ET. Maybe <laughs> the real ones had beads and my one had like walnut shells and asbestos. <laughs> anyway, so I had this choice between uh, a weapon or this ET. And I picked the weapon, which actually, now that I've read some interviews with people, they categorically tell the kids, don't pick up the weapons because you're never allowed to attack enemies. So I should have picked up the ET, but I picked up the weapon and then I went into the next room and a Hollywood producer bounced in. I remember it so vividly, my brother bouncing in being like, hey, I'm from Hollywood and I'm looking to make a movie. Have you got a prop from a film that I can take? And I was like, oh, no, I haven't because it was in the other room. And And that was the end of my quest. And my quest ended. So a Hollywood producer murdered you, essentially. (laughs) I don't think you read it. My brother just like being like, he just went, ah, oh, that's all, you know, that sucks. And then and off he went. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the end of my, my journey on there. I don't even think he gave me a do-over. Were you blindfolded for this? Yes. Were you wearing a bucket on your head? A pillowcase. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I remember school playground playing Nightmare, which was done in a similar kind of way, but you had to wear a bucket or something over your head. Or if there wasn't a bucket available, you put your coat on back to front Mm -hmm. so the hood would go up (laughs) backwards. But that was actually worse because, as we said, when you were wearing the helmet of justice, you can kind of see your feet. If you're wearing your coat backwards, you literally can see nothing and you suffocate slightly. So there was added (laughs) drama. The other bit I remember with school and Nightmare was, one, we all watched Nightmare. But two, do you remember the books, the book club that came to school? Do you oh, have yes. those? Oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. Yeah, with the scholastic stuff. Absolutely. They had one of the nightmare books. <laughs> and I was like, tick. And I begged and I got that. And it was a choose your own adventure book with a story of the origin of Treyguard in the front. Oh, that's so cool. I've still got it downstairs as well. It's still on the <laughs> bookshelf with all my fighting fantasy books and stuff because that was the first one I had. That and the Crystal Maze book, which wasn't so much a choose-your-own-adventure book as a frustrating puzzles an eight-year-old will never get. (laughs) But they did several books. They also did a board game. They also did two computer games, one for the Spectrum, which had a unique kind of control system where commands were issued by the keyboard, but every command would be two parts. So one key would be the action, and then a second key would be the context. So, for example, one key may present ET doll, mm-hmm. and the second key would be present ET doll to Hollywood producer. So, it allowed a fairly easy to access, but also quite dynamic and diverse set of commands without going full command line text adventure. The second was a 16 bit game, and it was, in essence, a reskin. It was a Mindscape game, someone that we encountered on Games Master already with their shovelware of Avengers. Mm-hmm. 
But they took the 3D role-playing game Captive, which in itself was a take on Dungeon Master. They redeveloped it, they turned it into Nightmare. It wasn't complete shovelware. They did bring in artists from the show to provide artwork. And Tim Childs sent pages and pages of stuff that they could use. And it came out and it got some good reviews. I've got it on the Amiga emulator. And in fact, there is a chance by now you've already heard the version of the Nightmare theme that's on that Amiga game because it loops very, very nicely. There was also, because it was the 80s, there was a board game. There was an MB Games board game. It was for two to four players and there was a book of Merlin's riddles inside. It had a spin-off as well. There was a French-produced version of Nightmare sponsored by Sega. Was it really? Yeah, it was called The Night of the Labyrinth and it ran for 104 episodes from September 1990. Ayez crainte. Bienvenue dans le château du labyrinthe. <rire> Laissez-moi vous regarder. <rire> Alors comme ça, vous êtes les nouveaux chevaliers en quête du trésor. Oui, mais... oui, mais... Bien. A number of them were on YouTube. Unfortunately, my French is only slightly worse than my English, so I've no idea what's going on in any of them. There were attempts to launch a Spanish version, a German version and an American version, they all tanked. There was also an attempt to bring it back in the early 2000s with Nightmare VR, that was a pilot, and it went nowhere. And Tim Childs himself did come back with another similar series about a time-travelling bus called Time Busters. Who's from the Benjamin Britten School, Lowestoft? Great, okay, so you're the Gillsborough School, Northampton? Yeah. Okay, come on, on, on you get as quick as you can. Some up, some down. Come on, hurry up. Oh, that's a good pun, isn't it? It is. And my favourite thing is, it was all about time travel. It was a bit more treasure hunt, but the idea was you had the time travelling bus and you had two teams and they were all competing to find the same thing. But my favourite thing about that show is the captain of the time bus was played by Michael Troughton, son of Patrick Troughton, the second Doctor Who. So the time travel connection was maintained through that family. I loved that. And more literally cashing in on it, there was Cyberzone with Craig Charles, which I'm sure will be a future Patreon voting candidate and probably another one that stops us getting to Gladiators. <laughs> Poor old Gladiators. But the show ran for eight seasons. It ended in 1994. It is still very firmly in British pop culture because you know what? It may not be on the TV screens, but when we're allowed to do such things, you can go and see it live and you can play the game live with Nightmare Live. And Nightmare Life has become this huge, huge thing. And, yeah, impressively so as well. It's actually, I'm, I'm thrilled to see it do so well. And it's actually just like, yeah, a testament to, as you say, how popular and beloved this show is to how successful Nightmare Live is. I was fortunate enough to see the very first performance of Nightmare Live. I have a few photos from it because it went to the fringe. But before then, it did its first preview show in a pub garden in London. And uh, Paul Flannery, a friend of mine who is Treyguard in Nightmare Live, clang, name drop, 
<laughs> but his opening line was greetings watchers of illusion and welcome to our pub garden of confusion the paint was still wet on the helmet of justice the puppets were still not quite holding together but everyone was into it everyone was on board it had fun with the tropes of nightmare but it wasn't a piss take there was no. humor but it was done lovingly it was a barnstormer at fringe and then it came back and did a show at ucl and you've gone from a pub garden to the Edinburgh Fringe to like a 500 capacity theatre full. Yeah. And after that was when I first met Hugo Myatt as he turned up. Amazing. That's so cool. They did a show on the West End and they've done a couple of runs at the Udderbelly Festival on the South Bank. I can't wait for us to be able to go to live shows again because I can't wait to go and see Nightmare Live again. So much of it is improvisational. You will never see the same show twice. Also noteworthy mention, there was the YouTube Geek Week where they did do a one-off special of Nightmare where Stuart Ashens and a bunch of other YouTube streamers played the Nightmare Dungeon with Hugo Myatt. They filmed it in the original studios. I haven't seen it. It was okay. And then that brings us up to now where we're doing a one-off podcast. Temporal Discussion are starting their journey through the entire series. Good luck to you guys. And we have jumped ahead from Series 1. We're now in Series 2. And we are covering two monumental episodes. But to bring us up to speed, we should probably hand over to the man in power. The dungeon tricked, it fooled and writhed, but still no matter how it tried, there was no way it could defeat Chris and his pals from Merseyside. But then, at last, in level three, the team chose riches, not defense. And though they passed the gargoyle's glare, they had to face the dewy stare. It left them stone. Oh, what a pity. Yet still it rhymes our awful ditty. And now Mark and men from Oxfordshire are set to tread where many fear. Will they survive? Who knows? Who cares? So let's join them neath the castle stairs. Point backwards. Point towards you. So... Technically, we're joining a team in progress because we're already covering two episodes, kind of. We're basically covering team four. And all they've essentially done up until this point is pull a lever. But yes. in the team, we've got Mark Wixon, Matthew Carey, Daniel Allen and Jonathan Catchall. They're all from Whitney in Oxfordshire. And their quest, as we all find out, is to free the maid. Now, quests were always either rescue an object, find an object, or, as is the case here, free the maid the princess, the whatever. I always thought that they started knowing what their quest was, but actually these guys don't find out until the third or fourth room. And it's just, yeah, pull the lever, spin the wheel, make a deal, find out which one you're doing. But of course, they didn't have four options. The team at this point probably already knew where they were going to send these Dungeoneers. Where am I? Okay, Mark, you're in a room. There's, there's three doors on the opposite side and there's a gesture in the middle of the room ah dungeon spin and lever break you've gone and got me by mistake <laughs> and what a lucky mistake it was too and would you believe it we get into the first room and it's one of the stalwarts of nightmare it's folly the jester who is an annoying asshole yeah pretty much 
It's an annoying performance, I would say. It's very panto. Deliberately so, though, because he's meant to be a court jester. And when we join him, he is literally just spinning in circles. That is all he is doing, is just spinning round and round and round. And then he invites Mark to play Chase the Lady. Oh. Have you ever played Chase the Lady? No. Oh, well, never mind, because we're going to play it anyway. (laughs) Right, who's going to deal? I suppose it better be me. Here we go then! Yeah, these giant cards are drawn. Absolutely enormous cards they are. And Mark is quite upfront. He's like, I've never played Chaser Lady, and Folly's like, well, tough shit. <laughs> tough shit. Play the game, kid. You're in the dungeon, you're wearing a bin on your head, you're playing Chaser Lady. <laughs> so the cards appear, and Folly runs away. So the team described the room. All the doors that were previously in the room are now covered by cards. And that they work out they need the queen to get out. Or rather, the queen is the correct path out because it's called Chase the Lady. Is it Matthew? Is he the sort of the, is he the kid in the middle? Or is that Daniel or Jonathan? Matthew sat in the center, yeah. I, find, I think that Matthew is, I mean, he's very much the leader of the three that are helping Mark the Dungeoneer. And he's very quick to shoot down other people's thoughts. But he's also a very smart lad. He's very quick to shout at Mark as well to hurry the fuck up and, and, and sort of make some choices. But, you know, he's actually a really, really good Dungeoneer. And I like this team because this is a team that is taking this really, really seriously. I would, I would probably wager they're taking this as seriously as the people that are putting t- the show together. Like, they want to be on this show and they want to be the team to win it. And maybe that is reflected in the journey that they take because... These kids aren't drawing dicks on those clipboards. They're taking notes. They are furiously scribbling down. They're proper D&D players. They're proper D&D players. And Mark, while sometimes questionable in his dialogue choices, (laughs) he thinks on his feet. And sometimes he jumps ahead of the team because he's being asked a question. He doesn't have time to fucking wait for them to scrabble around. He just goes for it. Most of the time it pays off most Mm. of the time. But when Mark first arrives in this room, before he gets to play Chaser Lady, he does utter three of the most immortal words in all of Nightmare. (laughs) Where am I? To which the answer is most of the time... You're in a room. This is a drinking game. (laughs) If you want to get truly shit-faced on a Saturday night, put on Nightmare and take a shot every time a kid gets told he's in a room. It won't be every time, because sometimes he's in a cavern. Yes, or, you know, you're in a kitchen. Or, in the future, you're in the woods, but you will still get trolled fairly damn quickly. (laughs) If you can stop walking forward, Mark. Yeah, keep walking forward. That door is locked. Take the right steps to open it. While these guys are trying to work out the rules of Chaser Lady, this is where Treyguard lends his first helping hand by pointing out they need to take the right steps to open it. Oh, right, okay, we stand on the heart because it's the Queen of Hearts, and I love that this immediately follows into the next room. Where am I? Okay, looks like a kitchen, two doors on the far wall. There's a lady by the kitchen, by the kitchen range, yeah, and there's a table in the middle. Yes, because you go into the next room, which is this kitchen with a cook um, who believes, or she tells them, that she's the Queen of Hearts. Well, yeah, not really. 
No, her name is Gretel, and she is essentially a maiden. She is, in fact, the maiden that they will have to save later on. Indeed. But she asks him if he's the knave of hearts, and he decides to say yes. Yes. Then very quickly backpedals, which is for the best because the knave of hearts is a thief. And it's funny, I'm glad that you're here to say that because my note here, I thought he said the neighbor hearts. And I was like, it must be some reference that I'm not picking up on. No, no, it's all off of the, the rhyme, which Gretel, not the brightest spark, she gets wrong. The queen of hearts, she made some toads all on a summer's day. The knave of hearts, he stole those toads and took them all away. <laughs> Do you know it, Mark? Bloody hell. I thought this show was gory for killing kids. They've just killed a bunch of innocent toads, all because she can't remember a rhyme. But Mark has the tricky job of telling her she's wrong. The knave stole the tarts. You don't need the toads. And Gretel is very happy with this advice because toads are apparently difficult to cook. And this then leads them into a bit of a quandary because they've got the option to go into a clue room or the left room is an exploding trap. But because... Gretel got the rhyme wrong. The kids think that she's trying to trick them. And eventually Treyguard steps in to be like, no, 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 you can trust her. And by her, I mean us. We like you, kids. <laughs> We're not going to yeah. kill you straight away. There have been teams that died in like the second or third room. Oh, they, yeah. they get sent home double quick. They don't even get the hotel overnight. <laughs> but they do trust her. They go through the right door. And here we are, the level one clue room. Okay, it's a red room. There's a table in front of you with some objects on. Doors on far right thing. There's there's pie, a gold, a bell, and a gauntlet on the table. The table has a candle, a pebble, a cigarette holder, and a glove. At least, I mean, that's what I thought it was, but it's actually a bell and a pie. I mean, you're not quite toads wrong with that, but you're a little bit wrong. Yeah, I was a little bit wrong when I, when I saw those. But they guide Mark to the table, and before they can make off with the loot... Trey Guard has to interject again, saying, If you don't have a clue, well, you soon will have. But don't touch Mark, for first you must face the challenge of the living wall, Igneous of Legend. I am Igneous of Legend. Face me or perish in ignorance. Turn round. Yeah. Turn I around. know I said living, but that scarcely applies to Igneous. Turn round. Turn, Turn and face him, Mark. The living wall's pretty cool. The living wall is amazing. And this is something where the technology of Nightmare comes to the forefront. Because you know what? You can have actors wandering around a green screen. It's nothing new. Doctor Who did it for years. So did Blake Seven. But here, you've got live actors on a green screen. And then also overlaid is a puppet, essentially, of a wall. And of course, poor Mark can't see this. He just looks down and he sees green but his Dungeoneers can see this thing that fills an entire side of the room. And essentially, before he can make off with any loot, he's got to answer three riddles. Well, I mean, I would have been pretty bad on Nightmare anyway, but yeah, I, I didn't really know all of these riddles, apart from the third one. I mean, the first riddle, I confess, I did get, because once he roamed free and ate deer, now I watch bars and eat Christians. What am I? It's a lion. I have no idea why. The Roman Colosseum. The lions at the Christians when they were thrown. I have the Scooby-Doo, mate. Have you not seen Gladiator? I didn't like Gladiator much. As a full confession on this podcast, I think it's, I think it's broadly fine. 
I mean, I'm glad you just said that on the Patreon-only podcast, because if that went out on the main feed... <laughs> but thankfully, Mark and Co. did get it right. The second riddle was, All that glitters is not gold, but know you the magic science that will make it so. Yeah, which is a very fun, tongue-twisting way of getting to alchemy. And you knew that one? That one I didn't know either. The third one I did know. Have you not seen Hudson Hawk? Uh, years and years and years ago. But uh, do you know what? When I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, do you know what film I want to see? I don't really tend to think of the fucking Bruce Willis singing movie. Alchemy is the business term of the 90s, my man. Minerva read about it in an airline magazine about four years ago. I dumped some lira into research and shazam! We come across a diary by one of da Vinci's assistants detailing La Machina de Oro the gold machine for the hose at home. And the rest is about to become history. The entire plot of that movie is to do with alchemy and Richard E. Grant eating every bit of available scenery before turning it to gold. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't rate, I didn't rate Hudson Hawk much. It's got a shit tying game as well. I really like the tying game. The fuck, <laughs> man? You're getting walked straight off the edge of the cliff, I can tell you that much. Third riddle. Moonlight makes my hair grow longer. Moonlight makes my jaw grow stronger. Daylight finds me bare of face, a member of the human race. What am I? It's a good job. I've been watching a lot of Buffy as of late. That's a werewolf, mate. That is a werewolf. I mean, there are werewolves in Dungeons and Dragons. I'm fairly certain at least three D&D players will be telling me. Yeah, no, they're very much are. Uh, I accidentally let one loose. Did you have to put it back in the box? But no, so we, uh, we, we were down in a, a, a sewer. Someone had told us there were werewolves down there. And we encountered a guy who was stuck in a prison who convinced us to let him out. And we thought he was a nice guy, so we did. Turns out he was a werewolf. He was the werewolf that we were warned about. I mean, you should have seen it coming, really. We should have done. And so should the children uh, when he ate them. Uh, they should have seen him coming as well. They were told to stay indoors after dark, but those kids ran free. If, if anything, really, I'd say it's the kids that are at fault. Ooh, nasty. <laughs> but thankfully, Mark and co. get three for three on this. They do indeed. Three is the score. Your quest is to free the maid. You have met her before, but now she has been taken to a deep place. And Treyguard is quick to say, you got a perfect score. You can shout out, I command you, for an extra hint. So Mark shouts out. I command you. Oh, very well. The gold is real. The gauntlet is merely my challenge. Which you have met well. Rock I was, and rock I now become. That Dwayne Johnson gets about, doesn't he? <laughs> he does indeed. Uh, so he picks up the pie, picks up the gold and the bell, and off we go. Where am I? Chamber mind, if you was running. There's a bomb right, right, in the room. Okay, okay. Right into a room with a bomb in it. But it's a bomb with a long fuse, and this fuse is burning slowly. I do love the actual false clue because they might have grabbed the gauntlet, but I loved that it. it turned out it was the challenge already met. I thought that was a really nice play on words. Again, the production team clearly like these kids. Mm. But they sidestep through that bomb room. The fuse is ticking down. They do fumble a bit towards the door. And when he gets out, that fuse is so close to the bomb. I don't know if they redid the green screen for the actual broadcast version to make it even tenser. But even though I knew that these kids made it through this room, I was a bit, 
have I picked the wrong episode? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, even when we were getting through this, it's not like it is a team per episode, as you probably sort of gathered by now. It is literally just you have a certain number of teams that play out throughout the episode. So if this team gets at to a certain point, the episode will just stop, and then the next episode will start, and that team's adventure will carry on. So there was a part of me that thought, while all the while while watching this, there is every chance that this team could balls it up here, and then the next team will come in. And that will be the winning team. I can only imagine watching this the first time round because I would have been watching this in 1988. I was probably screaming at the television, probably really <laughs> upsetting my parents at the time. Where am I? Okay, you're in a room. Um, there's a deep um, chasm to your left. Yeah, there's a pathway leading up to a serpent's head in the middle of a cliff. And there's something on the pile of rocks. But they make it out of the bomb room, they end up in Lilith's chamber. She's got an interesting taste in interior decoration. Hey, that snake's head is really, really cool. This was one of my favourite rooms that they went into. It is peak D&D because you've got questionable wall carvings, because really, who creates a snake's head like that? Why? You've got an ice chasm, and then you've got someone falling asleep on a rock over a sheer drop, one would assume, to certain death. Mm-hmm. Team, I don't think it's a good idea to leave Lilith asleep. She wouldn't be sleeping so soundly unless she'd left a few traps. Treyguard steps in on behalf of the production team again to say that it might be better to wake her. Indeed, yeah, so they use the bell to wake her up, which is very, very good thinking, because that is a nice, gentle way to wake someone up, as opposed to going, Oi, Lilith, wake up! I mean, that was their first idea, was shouting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> The bells! The bells! Oh, dragon's breath. If I had wanted to live in a cathedral, I would have done so. And Lilith wakes up with a chronic bout of overacting. <laughs> oh yeah, she is one of the best hamming it up actors on this episode. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Also gives us our first example of a nightmare curse, dragon's breath. What a great mm. curse. Yeah, that is good. But yeah, she also wants to go back to sleep. And you got the kid going like, sorry, my lady. Mark has definitely played D&D. He's played it with an arsehole DM. He knows what to do. Absolutely. I cannot. The three of these kids are definitely D&D players. And Matthew is 100% their DM. That's why I think he's the best. Like, that's why I think he's kind of like the commander of the three that are helping him along. Because as a DM, he almost knows how to beat the game. He's written these games. But they almost send Matthew off the cliff. There is a very, very narrow moment where he almost sidesteps a bit too much. I don't think the production team could have saved him on that one. I think no. that would have been, well, we liked you kids, but you're gone done fucked up. Yeah, I mean, the, the instruction they're given is go quickly and quietly. And they are very slow to get out of the room. Where am I? Okay, you're in a room, there's the well, and there's, um, looks like, could, could be a, a guard, guard standing at the well. Incriminate! Gumboyle, he guards the way. And we're from one character actor to another. It's the wellway to level two, and we are introduced to Gumboyle the Horrid. What a brilliant name. That is a great name. Intruder alert, he shouts, and they need a password to get through this. And Mark tries the word heart. I've no idea why. Well, it's because the Queen of Hearts, I guess. It's thinking on his feet. That's what I figured as well. I, because they haven't been told, you know, hey, this is going to be a password you'll need to remember coming up later. So, you know, he just thinks to himself, what's been a big part of this? 
So he just says heart, but that is not the password that they need at the moment. Yeah, Gumboyle's immediate reaction is, you what? But I love this because they decide to bribe him. They're going to bribe him with gold. So they're going to give him the gold bar. But to get around this, because this lad does not want... Are you trying to bribe me? It's not a bribe, though, is it? It's a present. He's a clever kid. <laughs> it's a present. It's for you because, because you're so nice. <laughs> Gumboyle's moral code will allow him to receive gold as a gift rather than yes. a bribe which shows he's clearly <laughs> been around the block a few times. But he takes the gold, he's quite pleased with how shiny it is, and he lets them go down the well. Just this once, mind. Just this, Just once. this once. And the team instruct Mark to say thank you. <laughs> I mean, it is the polite thing to do. They're so polite, this team. It's adorable. Hey, guess what, Luke? They've made it to level two. Do you know what? Not many teams will make it this far. Because, uh, uh, you know, we said in that, that Guardian article described Nightmare as the dark souls of its day. It's tough as balls. No, we're in series two, remember? We haven't had a winner yet. But who knows, Luke? Maybe it's because I've watched both episodes. I've got a good feeling about this team. Yeah, 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 pretty much. But they arrive in level two. It's not a room. It's a cavern. And immediately they are confronted by Cedric the Mad Monk. Where am I? Okay, Mark, you're in a cavern. There's one door, one way out. And there seems to look like a monk on a sort of... Out! You miserable excrement! Stand, you miserable, misbegotten dog's bottom! Oh, dear. <laughs> Cedric the Mad Monk seems madder than ever today. Yeah, the Mad Monk's problem is he doesn't have any friends, but also has spent the first 30 seconds of this interaction saying that he looks like a dog's butter, which, by the way... The other kids find hilarious. They found it so funny that their mate was called a dog's butter. I just struggled not to laugh, to be honest. I'd have laughed as well. It was really funny. That would have followed him into the playground. But this is where we get Mark's brilliant tactic that he has got here. And Mark uses this tactic more than once, which is just to tell someone that they're brilliant, they're lovely, I really like you, you're fantastic. Etc. Etc. I really like you. You're brilliant. You do? Yes. Really? Yes. Yeah, he's also not just committing himself to this friendship. He's saying, all my team will be your friends. <laughs> exactly. And the best bit is, is when he gets to your lovely and they cut back to the team, you can see Hugo Meyer in the background <laughs> laughing because, I mean, trying to convince someone that you're their friend, it's a fairly common thing in Nightmare. It happens a lot because you need to build allegiances. I've never seen someone go from 0 to 60 to your lovely so goddamn quickly. Mark, you are full of shit, but you're brilliant. <laughs> you're brilliant and lovely. And fantastic. <laughs> and eventually Cedric comes around and really believes Mark is his friend, which means, Mark, you are a bastard because you're just using him. But, but is it is it bad to use someone in order to save a maiden? It's still pretty manipulative, although, let's be honest, it was a brief holiday friendship. It was one of those yeah. friendships you make in a caravan park in Tenby, <laughs> but never lasts a distance. But while Cedric does find it all strange, he does take Mark's hand, introduces himself, and Mark follows up by saying he's really nice. Cedric then offers him some food, 
to stop him running out of life force because they suddenly remembered that needed to be a factor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it starts to fade away a little bit. And Cedric says a friend in need is a friend indeed and offers to help him on his quest to free the maid. Now, they have had some success here, but don't you rely on old Cedric. Can't rely on him for everything. Where are we? <laughs> oh, it's you again. This must be my birthday. Intruder alert level two. Come by all the handsome guards the way. Bloody hell, this guy moves quick. There must be another well. Or, you know, stairs. <laughs> Cedric is on fine form referring to him as Boyle Bont the Boozy Knight. He's been on the old dungeon juice, which again makes the kids laugh. I love that Gumboyle's best insult is to call Cedric a monkish person. <laughs> I have no quarrel with you, you... you... monkish person. <laughs> Stand aside. I play a monkey in my D&D campaign, uh, and my DM uh, has never had a character that has once referred to me as a monkish person as an insult. But I may send him this episode just in case he wants to work it into his dialogue. Honestly, he would laugh, you would laugh, no one else would get it. it but it's, <laughs> it's one of those moments that it's worth having. He's got no quarrels with this monkish fellow, though. He just wants the boy. Thankfully, Cedric at this point is a stand-up friend and he literally goes out to bat for Mark, or rather to Staff, because he beats the shit out of Gumboil and knocks him out. And all Gumboil can say is... <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> I mean, he did say it's about clobbering time, so he did give him some notice that he was about to clobber him. <laughs> Cedric's a fan of the Fantastic Four. I, Who I knew? Know, I, thought that as, I thought that as well. Where are we? Okay, Mark, you're in the light. Oh, God! Oh, my God! No! Anything about that? Right, get to the left. Ah! Get to the left. I can stand, Snooks! I can stand, Snooks! Quickly, run. Run, Quickly, run. Especially when they're that side. Run forward. Run forward. Now, listen, young Mark. You may not be able to go back, but I'm Stop! Stop! But I'm awful! We immediately end up in Ariadne's lair, where Cedric, to put it mildly, freaks the fuck out. Well, I mean, there's a big bloody spider. You would freak out, wouldn't you? And it is... A big spider. It's not a, ooh, that's going to need a pint glass to get that out of the bath. This is eight-legged freak style, Lord of the Rings, that kind of yep. big ass. It's a big ass spider, Luke. This is the sort of big ass spider that you need David Arquette to come and help you get rid of. Get back, See, that, that is a film reference I will make because I do actually very much like Eight-Legged Freaks. I think it's a cracking little movie. Frank Welker doing the voices of the spiders. Anytime there's a creature to be voiced in Hollywood, there is a good chance you will get Welkered. I mean, when Frank Welker leaves this mortal coil, there is going to be so much voice work that is open up to everyone else in the voice work community. There were any number of times over Halloween where I was watching a creature feature or some kind of movie and I'd hear a voice or a character noise and I'd go IMDB yep <laughs> just been <Yep>. welcomed <laughs> but anyway Cedric has buggered off and the team are quick to navigate Mark not just to run around the room but to get down on all fours and crawl around the room it's completely unnecessary because that's not quite how the spider works but <laughs> it's hilarious he's trying to move around on all fours whilst also still wearing the helmet and dragging a knapsack behind him. Indeed, yeah, because he's got to get to the other side of the room where there's a big F, and that F will become very, very important later on in this quest. But 
he gets the air out uh, 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 uh. as webs begin to fill the screen. Where am I? Hello, Mark. Um, I think you're in uh, a wizard's room of some sort because there seems to be a chair and then there's mm. a sort of a large doorway leading out and there's lots of shelves with things like bottles and that on them. Now, can you tell us what else is there? Burglars! Oh no, not again. Now where's my burglar? Turn to face him, Mark. Turn to face him, Mark. Oh, he's, he's not a burglar. It's a dungeoneer. But they're in the next room and it's the home of Merlin. Yeah, who bursts in thinking that they've got burglars in the house, but it's not burglars, is it? It's only a lovely little dungeoneer. In all fairness, they were trying to take stuff. They were trying to nick it, but I love that as soon as Merlin realises that they're not conventional burglars, he navigates Mark to an area that's more magical or where there's a mark on the floor. <laughs> yeah. And we don't have riddles this time, but we do need to complete some sayings. So how did you do on this one, Luke? Well, these ones I did way better on. Granted, one of the things was given to them earlier on because it's a friend in need is a friend indeed, which is what the mad monk had told them. And uh, it's today's enemies are, I think, and it's tomorrow's friends, isn't it? That is correct. Two out of two. Yeah, I got both of those ones. I know those better than I do Roman history. But anyway, they earn a spell for getting these right, and that spell is Freezer. Yeah, it couldn't have been a shorter one, could it? Just Freeze would have done. I honestly, I sometimes think they put the extra letter in there just to try and trip them up. For spell casting, as you will discover, you've got to spell the word out. So that extra letter, that's an extra couple of seconds that could be too long and spell certain doom. Come on, team. Make your choice and creep away. Your choice, your choice. Yeah, we got the food. This is one of those examples where Traegar is helping uh, the child a little bit, or sort of helping the team a little bit, because like he's pushing them along to, to get out, and they're about to leave when Traegar also tells them, oh, you might want to get something from the table first, though. But while the spell is useful... It doesn't last very long, neither does Merlin, who falls asleep, and that's when they can make off with his goodies. So they decide yeah. to take the ruby and the candle. Yep, and head out the right door. Which leads to exactly the same place as the other door would have. Where am I? Okay, Mark, you're in a cavern, there's a bridge, okay? You're, you're on, on a, a very narrow course. And there's a... Aye, aye, of Odin, some loot is this way coming? <laughs> They're now on a bridge with what I thought at first was a troll in front of them. And the only reason I thought it was a troll is because well, it's a bridge. So you would just sort of expect it to be a troll, but it's not. It's a Viking. Well, no, a troll would be under the bridge. But yeah, bridges in bridges bracket general are the sort of the domain of the troll. But doesn't normally a troll require water? And this is under this bridge is kind of a chasm. I mean, I think with this bridge, you're as likely to find a Viking as you are a troll. I mean, in this sort of world, I don't know what I was expecting, really. I mean, he looks like a Viking. He's got a horned helmet. He sounds kind of like Goldmember, though. <laughs> but he doesn't offer him a schmuck and a pancake. Instead, tells them he's got an option, which is loot, pillage, or kill. Fucking hell, he's not messing around, is he? No, Mark doesn't fuck around either. He's immediately <laughs> in on, here, would you like a ruby? Olaf's like, what's a ruby? <laughs> which I'm just yeah. thinking, oh my God. <laughs> what's a ruby? And Mark is just like, it's worth loads of money. Olaf's quite happy with that. I was going to say, that's a smart answer, mate, because that does make Olaf want it. Because if Olaf didn't want that, I'm pretty sure Mark was going to tell him that he was brilliant or lovely. He also, very smartly, makes a deal with Olaf, which is he's going to give him the ruby if he lets him pass, which Olaf agrees to. They hand over the jewel. 
Warning, listeners, complete temporal disruption imminent. All adventuring must cease until you phase with us after the ad break. Lionel of the Thundercats discovers a new enemy, the Berserkers. Top spinner. Cruncher, Hammerhand, Rambam, the Berserkers from Rainbow Toys. There goes Alan, Alan and Peter, and Spider-Meter. I hunt them in hills and under rocks, but I'd rather have a bow of Cocoa Pops. Oh, yeah. Kellogg's Cocoa Pops taste so chocolatey, they even turn the milk round, so I'd rather have a bowl of Cocoa Pops. Cricket. Cricket, it's good to be her friend. My name is Cricket. What's yours? She tells stories, she's got long hair. She's got some songs and jokes to share. I've got one for you now. Cricket, Cricket, it's good to be her friend. New Cricket from Matchbox. Puff a lump a little closer, baby mine. Puff a lump and be my little clingy. Softest temptations in all of creation. Only from Fisher Price. Hot off the press, Tom. My new fun pack, Tiger Talk Magazine. Wow! It's part of my action pack, along with Magic Thames, a magic window, and. It's brilliant, Tony! You can say that again. It's brilliant, Tony! Tony's action pack, free with eight tokens Achoo! from Kellogg's Frosties. They're great! They're under starter's orders. Lots of wheel spin. And just look, Scalextric have fitted smoke generators. What a start. You can't beat Scalextric from Hornby. Phase with us once more, for now is the time for adventures. Shat on a turtle. <laughs> But they make it across the bridge safely. Olaf has his ruby. They're into the next room. And oh bollocks, Luke, it's a catacomite. <laughs> Where am I? This large monster. Dire warning, team. A catacomb bite is on guard here. One touch is so this ginormous thing is terrifying. I've written here, there's a giant skeleton monster. Fucking hell. It's part horse, it's part dog. It's got a human skeleton with fucking fangs. It's so scary. And yeah. it's only got three frames of animation. This is Hanna-Barbera level animation, but it is such an amazing looking creature. It was a yeah, book cover, as wicked. I said. It was, it was on the front of the book. But thankfully... We now get another staple trope of nightmare. Spellcasting. F R E E Z E R. Come on, one more, quick, quick. The spell works, the creature is frozen, and then the team have to navigate Mark to get the next letter they need. This is proper Matthew kicking off as well here, about like hurrying him along, telling him to just hurry the fuck up. But they manage to get the next letter and they make it out of the room. 
And Mark says, where am I? Where am I? You tell us. <laughs> and for a brief moment, I think the team thought that the technology had broken because it's dark. Absolutely, it is, yeah. Like, the kids generally look around, a bit like, look at Trey and be like, is the thing broken? Because, like, I remember one of the interviews that I read said that, because um, were, they were rendered on a Mac 2, that sometimes it would actually be quite slow to render out the full image, so you wouldn't, like, find out exactly what you were seeing before they ask, where am I? So I wonder if they were just looking around being like, has it gone wrong? Thankfully, the team are told, probably subtly, and then edited out, that no, this is how it's meant to be, and the team are quick to suggest, ah, hold up the candle and it illuminates the situation. It's a good job as a magical candle. Yeah, this is pre-internet, but Treyguard knows what arseholes kids can be, so he points out, magic candle doesn't need matches. You're fine, mate. You're sorted. They start to waste life force here, but they guide him to get to the well, leave the candle here because this candle has no purpose to get into uh, level three or has no purpose in level three. It's very much that Resident Evil or, and Resident Evil 2 uh, mentality of just like, this item has no use for you anymore. Don't put it back in your inventory. Just get rid of it. I reckon the team here were trying to navigate him to that little crop of rocks on the back wall. They thought it was an object and Treyguard kind of has to steer them and go, stop fucking about and get in the well. Yeah. Where am I? Okay, Mike, you're in a cavern. Life force warning, condition red. A sprig of energy is here, but can you reach it in time? Cavern White's about. But no sooner is he into level three, shit escalates, health is dangerously low, and we've got some clip art. Yes, so there's a sprig of energy, that, but can they reach it in time? Because the Cavern White is starting to chase them. And once again, Matthew gets proper narked at Mark for moving too slowly. Matthew really, really wants to win here. As the Cavern White lumbers towards him, though, they do manage to get the sprite, they do get out. Treyguard's finding it funny if no one else is. <laughs> Where am I? And Mark, you're in a, uh, a sort of room. Dire warning, team. This piece of ugliness is a gargoyle and suffers from acute depression, probably because of its ugliness. Persuade it into better spirits or perish, for its pessimism is draining your life force. Okay, Mark. Stare at me. I'm too ugly to be stared at. Say he's really I'm nice. twice as ugly as sin. And I'm spiteful too. Say he's You'd really be nice. spiteful if you were this ugly, wouldn't you? I did say earlier that my favourite designed room was uh, Lilith's Snake Cavern. But this 100% is my favourite room in the whole journey that they go on. It's a room with a depressed gargoyle. Or realistically, a depressed gargoyle's face because it's filling two thirds of the room. It's a mm -hmm. big old gargoyle. He really is. Um, and, you know, the life force is draining here, but they're going to have to cheer this gargoyle up. And so Mark goes back to his patent moves of, you're lovely. Keep going, keep going. You're the most beautiful creature in the world. Tell it, you're the most beautiful creature in the world. Oh, it's no good trying to cheer me up. Stop trying. You'll be dead soon, and no, then you'll be sorry you stared at me. You're beautiful. So you like staring at him because he's really nice. You're, I like looking at you. You're... What about my face? Because the creature essentially is starting to like fill in the blanks a little bit for them because, yeah, Mark's running out of adjectives to use because he's just like, you're the most beautiful creature I've ever seen. You're charming and witty. 
uh, the, the creature starts to go red, but then goes back to blue because they're not complimenting enough. So he pulls out the big guns. Keep going, Mark. Come on, you're keep really going. young. You're so beautiful. I, I love you. You're amazingly young looking. I, just, I love you. I bet that came back to haunt him in the playground. It's like, uh, you yeah. told a gargoyle you loved him. But then Mark could go, <laughs> yeah, but I won Nightmare, so suck it. He's an attractive gargoyle. I could stay here forever and admire you. That's a dangerous thing to say in Nightmare. That's, that, that, that could actually be an immediate game over if the producers were being dicks. Exactly. But the gargoyle is quite happy and he's like, oh, it's good to have friends. You've done me a power of good, so I'll do something for you. I'm going to give you a spell. It's called Sun. It's not a very exciting spell, I suppose, but it's all I've got. But not only is it good to have friends, he gives him another spell to have. Reveals a hidden door, but gives him another spell. A spell of sun. S-U-N. Which is not a very exciting spell, but it's all he's got. Well, it's in case you run out of toilet paper and you need something to wipe your ass with. You say sun, and a red top appears. Hey, there it is. But the gargoyle lets him go, and they hurry into the door. Because when the gargoyle was full of confidence and feeling the love of Mark, he was able to find the door that was literally in his shadow all this time. Where am I? Okay, Mark, you're in a room and there's um, the E we were looking for on a table. So we're now in a room with a table and there's an E in this room. So they've now got, you know, F, R and E. And Traegar points out that this room is unguarded. But a crack of lightning appears and Merlin is back to give them another spell. Well, well now, Mark! Turn, turn to a bit to left. you and your friends have turned out to be? I would have sworn you wouldn't have made it this far, yet here you are, and still breathing. Congratulations. The reward for your progress is a spell. It is called sleep. I know you have another spell. You may even have a third eventually. You must think about that when the time comes. Now, be off with you. It is a short path now. What a dangerous one. And I was like, hey, we're starting to rack these up now. This is great. This is escalating quickly. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Mark's going to kill a man with a trident. <laughs> Did you throw a trident? Yeah, there were horses and a man on fire, and I killed a guy with a trident. Rick, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. You should find yourself a safe house or a relative close by. Lay low for a while, because you're probably wanted for murder. But Merlin, at this point, is looking full Roy Wood from Wizard. He looks like he's ready to say he wish it could be Christmas every day. <laughs> Where am I? Mark, you're in a room. There's some cavern Dead whites. quiet, team. These cavern whites appear to be sleeping. Here be energy which you may well need. But can you steal it with stealth? On the other hand, the door is open. <laughs> the choice is yours. Our next room is a very, very quiet room because the cabin whites are sleeping and our team are faced with a choice here. Do you just sneak past and avoid waking the cabin whites up or do you risk it for a biscuit and go for that life force, go for that sprig of health that you'll need to complete this dungeon? This team ain't fucking about. They double down. They risk it for that biscuit and you know what? They get the entire pack. That's a, that's a biscuit and a jammy dodger and a wagon wheel, full health, only slightly marred, 
by almost face planting into the wall, trying to get out <laughs> of the room. And this is again where Matthew having a popper mug for being too slow. Matthew has not got time to wait around. He just wants to, he wants to win. He knows that they're close. He knows that Amiga 600 is probably in the green room. He wants to get back to playing whatever the fuck they were playing. <laughs> Elf mania. Where am I? Mark, you're in a room. The same. Welcome to the third level, Mark. Do not waste your puny kitchen magic on me, for I will turn all even before your spell is cast. You have done passably well, but you are doomed to failure. I, Mogred, am the dark power who can help you now. It's another empty room, but then Mogred appears. Who is Mogred, you may be asking? Which is a valid question, because apparently he's the one that kidnapped the maid that they are now freeing and is i guess mm -hmm. the antagonist of this particular quest i'm not sure if the rips of the episodes we saw from challenge had this trimmed so they could get an ad break in or what oh. was going on because mogdred is not introduced to the best of my knowledge nope he is not this is the first time we see him he may have been introduced in other episodes he probably was but essentially, suddenly, boom, a plot device appears. He basically offers to help the team, or rather, encourages the team to work with him. Yes, what he's basically looking for them to do is to join forces or serve them. And this becomes a big topic of discussion between our Dungeoneer and the people that are helping him. What do we do? Do we say yes? Say yes. No, don't say yes. Say no. No, don't say no. Say yes. It becomes this massive, massive thing. Do you take the chance? and say no, face whatever consequences may come. But really, I think at this point, no is the only answer that you can give. If he is your big bad, you've got to take the chance with no, rather than saying yes, because I feel like that is going to be the end of your journey. Also, would you really trust a guy called Mogdred who has essentially kidnapped a May? Exactly. There is also a bit of a who's on first, because Mark is not sure whether they want him to say yes, or they're saying yes, say no. It becomes so confusing for poor old Mark, who's just hearing it is his. Yes, yes, no, 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 yes. Eventually, Mark gets the right end of the stick and says no. And Mogdred says, very well. I could, of course, crush you, but why bother? I enjoy observing fear. I'll enjoy observing yours. Bit creepy. It is a bit creepy, but we've got two belting rooms coming up next. This first one, this is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant D&D &D style room. Keep it going. Okay, okay, stop. stop. Now, on the floor. Mm. Now, and there should you be a flight, stairs? flight of stairs in front of you, okay? Okay, grab, grab the banister and walk Curious. Down. A fine stained glass window, but wasted here in the dungeon depth where daylight cannot reach. And so, because they've been taking notes, they use the spellcaster and it lights the correct path for them to take. Love this room. This is great. If you made it to level three, you are a thinking team and you need to use your thinking brain in order to get past this. Unfortunately, their thinking brain is still occasionally a wrong direction brain because the other thing this room does is it flips things on its head because now Mark is walking towards the camera and this is where it's really revealed that the production team like this crew because he steps off that path. His yes, foot absolutely. is over the void. They have killed children for less in this show. Yeah. Oh, they're so close at this point. You've got to feel the production team were like, they, they, we could get them to the end here. And it's hard for them to kind of work out the geography 
of where he's standing in order to get him to move in the right direction. They get so close to fucking it. They just get so, yeah, so close. Where am I? Okay, Mark, you're in a room. Um, it's a dark room. And there's one that, ah, it's lighting up. Stand quite still. And where do you think you're going? Tell me you're going to free your maid. I'm going to free your maid. I do hope you're intelligent enough to realise escape is impossible. You do know what I am. He's a, he's a crocodile, Mark. He's standing on a crocodile's nose. Now, you said it was a thinking team. They've played D&D. How many crocodiles are there in D&D, Luke? I was so, like... I was, it's clearly an, a dragon. But they keep going, it's a crocodile's mouth. No, 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 it's, it's very much a dragon, guys. And they even say to him, are you a crocodile? And I'm like, mate, you are on your way to being eaten here. This is... <laughs> This is game over, ooh nasty, bone crunchity munchity. But the dragon is a vain dragon, and before he eats Mark, he's going to allow him a moment to admire him. Thankfully, they have got a spell here that they can use to get him to fall asleep. Spell casting. S. L. Right. E. Time's up. E. P. It's a shame I can't show you the rest of me. But we haven't got... Okay. All... No, we've got to come down here, haven't we? All right. No, no, he's got to come out right. here. So I All... to your No, he's got to come out here. Now, even once the dragon's asleep, the team is beginning to fray a bit, possibly because they realise yeah. how close to the end they are, because they're really bickering about which direction Mark should go when... There is only one direction, because remember, you I can thought. only go forward, you can't go back. I think it's a combination of two things. A, as you say, they know that they're very, very close to the end here. They must think that they're really close to the end here. But two, knowing now the, you know, what we know about sort of the production of this, you know, it's late in the day now. They've been there for ages. They're just a little bit tired and cranky because like, you're right, they are really fraying at the seams. And this argument about where to go next is probably the silliest argument they have as a group because there's literally only one way to go. Where am I? Come on, team. Life force energy low. You must charge ahead now or all is lost. Okay, Mark. Remember Merlin's words? Find the way out. We are in the final quest room. The final letter they need is in the corner and by the exit, there is a guillotine repeatedly dropping down again this game murders children the uh, timing is needed in order to get through to this they get the e position him in front of the blade and then direct him to get across just at the right time i wonder again if you've just got the production team just playing a bit nice with them because they you know they are literally at the end here. although they're keeping the tension up because they do point out life force is fading we're getting to the point where we've got the skull mm -hmm. quick where am i mark stay where you are Okay. But they make it. We are at the end of the dungeon and apparently they don't actually have a set design for the end of the dungeon because they're just stood on an arrow. And Treyguard says, Remember, Merlin said you may have a further spell. What do you think it must be? Quickly. Spell casting. F. R. E. E. <laughs> and a cylindrical tower appears. 
early CGI work there from 1988. Mm -hmm. And the maid's face forms above it in a globe. And there we have it, Luke. Second season of Nightmare. We've got our first winners. You've done it. You've mastered the dungeon. Mark, you may remove the helmet. Spellcasting hero. Yes. H-E-R. Thankfully, Traeger was there to remind this team that you have got this spell because Merlin did tell them, you know, earlier on, you will pick up a third spell. But I'll be honest, I actually didn't really put it together until Traeger said it. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. They've picked up the letters to free. I mean, did you think it was Reef and they were going to summon a 90s pop band? <laughs> oh, if only. Or place your hands. <laughs> and as Traeger spellcast heroes, we join the quartet at the castle gate. Also, Traeger's out there, which is nice because he looks like he could do with a bit of a bit of natural light, bit of air. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark, Matthew, Daniel, Jonathan, you are the first of our young adventurers ever to master the dungeon. Yay! Others will no doubt follow, but that glory will always be yours. Here is the symbol of squiredom which your success has earned you. But your true reward is, of course, your achievement here. I salute you. We all salute you. Tells them that they are the first adventurers to master the dungeon. Glory will be yours. And he gives them the prize for winning, the symbol of squiredom. This is... Um, it's it's not the greatest prize. I, I'm surely like beating Nightmare, I suppose, is the bragging rights that you get for winning. Well, I mean, he does say your true reward is your achievement here. So basically, here's kind of a weird looking plaque. Have a scroll. Later series, they did get a proper trophy. There were proper trophies yeah. for the winners. But at this point, to be honest, they probably didn't have much money left by the time they got to the prizes. And also, two seasons in, how many times did they actually needed them up until that point? That's it. They probably didn't think many kids were going to actually beat this thing. And as they stand there with a rainbow behind them, it's a beautiful day. Treyguard says, I salute you. We all salute you. And walks off a cliff. <laughs> but never mind that shit. Here comes a new team. I wish I could remember how I felt seeing the first team win Nightmare. That would have been serious playground discussion topics the next day. Yeah, I mean, as I said, like I was, you know, two years old when this aired, so I definitely would not have seen this. I honestly, I don't really remember ever seeing. Obviously, I know that the teams won, but I don't remember seeing teams win. So this must have been a really, really awesome and epic moment. They were the first, and it proved that it was possible. We would get more winners in series two, but it was never, even through the next six seasons, it was never a surefire thing. And if I remember correctly, when we got to the end of series eight, there was a team partway through an adventure and they just kind of oh, went, really? no, you're fucked. <laughs> Bye. And that was it. Oh, that's nuts. But these guys were the first and such an epic moment. I did feel a little disappointed that we just got a picture of the maid rather than actually having mm. the actress involved. But also this would have been a second day and they probably only paid her for that day. It is a fun show to look back on, though. I actually really enjoyed what my time here watching Nightmare, watching both these episodes and seeing this team win. Another team does start up, but we just thought we would actually cover the, the team four winning the day. That kind of wraps it up for Nightmare. Ash, what did you make of it? This is a very easy series to go back and watch. 
while yes some of the special effects don't look the best much like a lot of other shows i like doctor who red dwarf blake seven everything is aged up until a point and some of the acting is hokey there has literally never been another show quite like nightmare like neil pert's drumming in rush it stands alone and for a show that was never successfully replicated on British television, because we've already mentioned there was a French version, mm-hmm. its legacy looms. We talked about the stage show. We talk about the fact that this show is up there on YouTube, on archive.org. Best versions are on archive.org. And there's a podcast that's going through this show right now. I don't think love of this show will end when the generation who grew up with it ends. This is one that will be remembered for years to come and seeing these couple of episodes with this team and also yeah getting that feeling that the production team were kind of behind them that actually adds to it for me the fact that they weren't just fighting a dungeon but the, the production team kind of seemed to want them to win mm. it kind of makes it warmer and more wholesome and plus we get some great characters we get Gumboyle the guard we get Cedric the mad monk we get a maid that you know never accept an offer of a meal from that maid <laughs> we get the catacomites we get the cavern whites we get a talking wall we get a gargoyle we get everything you could want from nightmare at this point we get merlin he yeah. wandered in from a different mythology completely because this show was very good at mixing mythologies the previous team died via medusa yes but yeah it is it is that kind of sort of perfect mix of and blend of things together it is it's so much fun to watch it's so much fun particularly to go back and rewatch. and you say that like the the effects don't hold up but i just think that's part of its charm the acting in particular the sort of the pantomime citv style levels of acting I, i've got a very warm and fuzzy feeling going back to to watch these episodes because of the way that the show is structured it, you never know when you watch an episode if a team is going to make it which is a really really brilliant way of making you want to watch another episode because when this team wins, it doesn't feel like there's this huge fanfare that the team won. They basically just go like, well done, you won. Off you fuck, a new team's got to start. But actually, when the second team started, I did think to myself, I, I mean, I'm guessing that they don't win, but I do want to see them go, though. I want to kind of watch, watch on with this. And when an episode ends, it just makes me want to load up the next episode, you know, on YouTube or archive.org or wherever and watch more of it i had a grand old time revisiting this show that i only ever saw really later seasons of i have seen these episodes before though because when i was at university a friend of mine at game station was mad into nightmare and he had downloaded all of them years and years and years ago so he had them on dvd and i had you know a collection of nightmare on dvd which is basically just you know on cd-rom for, for lack of a better term that would play in a dvd player but uh, so yeah i've got a lot of fond memories of this show and i thoroughly enjoyed going through it again for this podcast and if for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't watched nightmare including the two episodes that we've just talked all the way through and spoiled every conceivable <laughs> element of do yourself a favor get on the internet and check it out it is as indispensable to a child of the 80s and 90s as games master was uh, but that is going to wrap it up here for this patron exclusive podcast thank you all so much for listening thank you all so much for being our patreon backers as well we appreciate every single one of you and like mark we think you're great we think you're lovely we think you're the most noble people so thank you very much for listening uh, yeah, as we said, it's going to be a, a Christmas themed month next time when we uh, I mean, obviously this is December. So 
I mean, do you want to give some teasers of what we might put on to the poll next time? I can give a teaser. Uh, vote for Challenge Annika. There we go. That's the teaser. <laughs> yes, Challenge Annika is going to be on there. They're going to, they try to put on a panto. If I could get my tray guard on in this episode, I can't wait for the opportunity to have a go at my twanky. <laughs> uh, but that is going to do it for this Patreon exclusive podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, everyone. I love you. And remember, it's only a podcast, isn't it? Isn't it?